you're listening to KAOS 89.3 Olympia, Washington. Uh, This is Tim from California. Don't touch that dial or you're dead. No, just don't touch that dial. You're still alive. Careful driving. Don't be a baby. Love you. It's the 74th episode of Low Profile. I'm Markley Morrison, and today I'm talking with Tim Rutilli, based in L.A. He's best known as the founding member of the experimental rock group Caliphone. Initially a solo project formed in the late 1990s in the aftermath of Tim's previous band, Red Red Meat, they've maintained a presence with a rotating cast over the past two and a half decades, releasing over 20 albums and EPs, and let me tell you, they rolled deep in the arts. Their previous album, Echo Mind, was written as a score for a dance choreographed by Robin Manico Williams, and they have two albums that are live scores of silent films. There's even a documentary about them from 2011. It's called Made a Machine by Describing a Landscape. Caliphone has a new album called Villagers, out on May 19th, 2023, released by Jealous Butcher Records. This right here is a deep cut from Villagers. It's called Skunkish. When did I become the thief? In the story that you wear on your face like a mask In the cave in Mrs. Miller Vine A winter come hiding in these walls Just another Tim also has credits as a writer and director. His first and only feature film to date is called All My Friends Are Funeral Singers. It's out there, so you can check that out for sure. 
We're about to talk about that, as well as the virtues of acting like a baby, the perfect cocktail, Califone's collaborative tendencies, a few of his other musical projects over the years, the best ways to keep oneself engaged on the road, and the perfect burger. I'm speaking with Tim Rutilli from his home in Los Angeles. Tim Rutilli, thank you so much for being on this program. It's been a bumpy road getting here, and uh, <laughs> it's nice to hear your soothing voice oh. across the wires. <laughs> I'm just going to groan. I'll be groaning a lot. <laughs> How's your day, man? What, what's going on with you? How's life? You know, life is good. I just drove my wife to the airport. And uh, I'm going to go work in a recording studio later today, so it's all good. Is she still acting? Yeah, she is. That's She's going to North Carolina for a film festival for some movie that she was just in. That's like a, an animated movie, and she did a voice. How fun. And uh, are, are you working on any uh, film projects or scoring? Uh, not right now. No. No. Just kind of doing band stuff right now. That's great. So there's a new record that's uh, out as of the release of this episode. Villagers. Yeah, May 19th it's coming out. Yeah. And it's it's a hell of a record, Tim. I gotta say. Oh, thanks. You and the crew put a tremendous effort out. I mean, sonically, it's just like really adventurous, which I always expect from a Caliphone album. But... You always find ways to go into new territory. That's good. That uh, that's nice to hear. Thanks. I really dug the uh, the tune McMansions. I think was the first one I gravitated toward. Uh huh. I don't know what your intention is for a first single, but that one like really stuck with me from the get go. Yeah, I, I like that one. I don't know if that's a single. I think uh, we talked about that. But it's, uh, I think, like eight minutes long or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It have to be. So it's single length for me, and maybe for you, but not for the, those people. Yeah, not for the uh, uninitiated, maybe. Yeah, people that have uh, less of an attention span, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think it just breathes and doesn't feel like it's that long. With this project, you've got such a great relationship with space. I think that's what drew me into it initially when uh, when California was first getting started. It was just so much breathing room. And so everything kind of stands out. Everything has a chance to really come and get you right by the ears sunrise bakes you in a pie creates you then forgets my last drug friend a hybrid gray alien put out pastures It's not 
ship to shore The rhythm of the crows I need you Everybody that I play with is a good listener, so there's a lot of like uh, really nice communication that goes on without actually talking uh, when we're playing together. So that's a good thing. And um, is it still kind of a rotating cast these days? Or I I didn't get a, a yeah. Uh, I didn't see the liner notes on the this new record. One. Yeah. I could I could send you all that stuff if you want, oh, yeah, but sure. <clears throat> we had uh, we started here uh, in Long Beach at a studio called Big Ego and with um, a band that was Rachel Blumberg and Michael Krasner and Wally Bedue on bass and Max Naus, and we had uh, Stephen Hodges in on percussion, so we did basically the foundation of the record live with people there and then over the course of the year sort of added songs and built it from there and went to worked on it in Chicago with uh, Ben Massarella and Brian Deck who I've been playing with for 30 some years since Red Red Meat yeah lots of people that have been uh, in and out of this band for several years and then a couple of new ones that's great so this new one it was at Big Ego Mm-hmm. So you, Do you know that place? You know my buddy Chris Schlarb then? Yeah, I know Chris. That's Chris's place. Yeah, we used to hang out. I lived in Long Beach for just over a year. But he was okay. He was the guy who would get me out to you know free jazz shows. And I think the only person who's ever convinced me to play softball, which something oh, wow. I would never do. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we go back. I just got his book in the mail uh, the other day. Uh, on recording. Oh, cool! I'm, I'm planning to have him on the show to talk about that. And oh, that'll be good. Yeah, he's a good one. I love I love that place. He he was an engineering. Um, a guy named Tristan Dolce was engineering on those days, and he was great. Oh wow! But I love that place. It sounds and feels really good in there. Excellent. You mentioned red red meat, and um, like a lot of people of a, I guess, a certain age. I was familiar with that before Califone came into existence. Um, and there's some band member crossover, like you mentioned. Um, and I feel like um, there's a star above the manger tonight was kind of foreshadowing. Did you feel like that was a transitionary period? It, it's, it's, <laughs> it seems like kind of it morphs into Califone from there, like, sonically a little bit we made like three records quickly that year and it was the last red red meat record which was star above the major and then we made this record called loftus with um guys from that band rex it was red red meat the four of us from red red meat i'd like to play a little bit of loftus just for the listener here
yeah, we did that, and then straight into, you know, the end of Red Red Meat and into the first Calphone thing. So it just feels like one <laughs> really productive year of stuff. Definitely. And yeah, very distinctive. Uh, I, I only learned this morning when I did a little bit more digging about Friends of Betsy, or Friends of Betty? Oh, Friends of Betty. Yeah. You must be in your like late teens at that point. Yeah. Late teens, early 20s. Uh-huh. We were maybe the worst band uh, ever to exist. Why do you say that? Just looking back? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just looking back. Uh, we were just chaotic and, and shitty. How fun was I don't it? know. I don't, I'm not... Sometimes it was really, really fun, and then sometimes it was just like a nightmare tangle of like... Uh, and loud we were really loud and really bad and we you know a few of us were just learning how to play um but yeah it was bad yeah oh no it's scary to the cloud his name is bill scary he's waiting to the color he looks me right into the eye oh man he's bogus clear we could empty out any room that was our uh, point of pride wow we also yeah. broke up a lot after shows oh wow yeah like this is our last show like uh, sometimes on stage there was crying yelling i don't know we were just we were little assholes <laughs> so but happy it's over yeah well live and learn right or just live yeah and don't There's learn. always that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I recently watched with uh, my mother-in-law the All My Friends Are Funeral Singers. You remember? Wow. that? It's going back. I. It never came to the theater over here. Whatever reason. <laughs> but <laughs> what, what, a, what a fever dream that film is. Yeah, I haven't watched it in a while. It's been over ten years now. Yeah, since you watched it, since we made it. Yeah, yeah. We were doing uh, like after the film was made and the record came out, we did some touring with uh, we where we did a live score. Yeah, and mixed audio dialogue from the film and. And uh, and then music that we were doing on stage, and sometimes that was pretty amazing, really fun. Um, I think that was the way to see it. But it had a little like Netflix run and all that. It did all the stuff and did a bunch of film festivals. That's good. So, but you were playing along to or in place of the existing score. That's kind of part yeah, of the film. and there was room. We had like end cues and beginning cues, and then we could sort of improvise in there too. Nice. And then throw some songs in. That's a really cool idea. I, I I think it's probably the first, the earliest film I've seen where the score is part, you, you see it being made on the screen, <laughs> like consistently, you know. Yeah, that was a 
an idea. It was to uh, have these people making noise in the house. The funniest thing for me was the scene where I'm like, oh, yeah, Caliphone is acting in this scene as the band that um, keeps this poor woman up at night. Upstairs. Mm -hmm. Yes. We were method acting all the way. We were all in character all the time. So for the uninitiated listener, uh, maybe on the radio or on the podcast world, um, I, I was wondering if we could like maybe try to describe what the stage setup for Caliphone looks like. Well, the last shows we played over this, well, we played in November. Those were the last shows we played. And it was a drum kit. Uh, Rachel Blumberg was playing the drum kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, ben Massarella was playing sort of a percussion. You know, he had a couple, he had a floor tom and a snare, and, and then he's got a box of like goat hooves and shakers and bells and stuff. And then uh, Max Naus was playing guitar, and then I had a little uh, keyboard and guitar, and was in, I, you know, and Max and I were doing some singing. That's how it was last time. And with different people involved, that's how it usually is. I think the next shows we play, when the record comes out, we're going to add a bass, but it'll be like drums, percussion, guitar. I'll have keyboards and a guitar and a bass. Good. And do you still have the um, the bedpan as part of the percussion set? I think he still has the bedpan, yeah. I try not to look at what he's doing. When I first saw Caliphone was uh, All Tomorrow's Parties in... uh, well, it was the same. Okay. It was the yeah. same show that uh, Wilco was playing the Yankee Hotel Foxtrot set. So, okay, a little over twenty years ago. So that was here. That was like in. LA. Oh yeah, that I'm. I'm from the Mojave Desert, so. Okay, I, <laughs> I'm a transplant too. But, yeah, that might have been at UCLA or USC. Mm, yeah, UCLA. It was. And at the oh, the the Getty Center. Uh huh. Playing with the books, that was right. that was a hell yeah. of a show. It was yeah. Both those shows I remember as being really fun. It was kind of intimate too, um, but in this massive architectural work all around you, it's like it was a cool scene. I felt I felt really artsy really artsy kid being at that show (laughs) yeah i think did paul from the books play with us i think he might have i believe so just left his cello up and just played our played on our set too he's incredible i love the books so touring with the smashing pumpkins huh what was that all about was that was that was that a cool thing or uh what was it like I don't know if cool is the right word. Uh, it was playing to a whole lot of people. And uh, 
I guess that was in the early to early nineties. We did that. When our record, record. Uh, Jimmy Wine Majestic came out on Sub Pop with Red Red Meat. So yeah, they asked us to tour. We did a whole bunch of touring with them. Was um, it like a big break kind of moment? Yeah, it was crazy. Was it scary at all, or was it just you're along for the ride? Um, we were kind of figuring things out. So I remember we kind of figured out how to play to a big crowd of people back then and get everybody's head bouncing uh-huh. and get people sort of jumping up and down. Uh, so we learned how to do that. Um, and then we learned maybe that we didn't want to do that. Uh, we learned that we can make people boo us really easily and throw shoes and stuff at us if we wanted, just by saying some things. Uh, yeah, learned a lot. But um, I remember enjoying some of those shows, and I remember, uh, yeah, and figuring out maybe that's not the kind of band we wanted to be. Right. But realizing that if we wanted to, we probably could, like... Uh, be a rock band and uh, get a bunch of people's heads bopping. So did you kind of revisit that energy when you did the, uh, the Rolling Stones covers? Oh, that was a different kind of energy. It was at the hideout in Chicago, and it was like St. Timothy's Day, because we knew a whole bunch of people named Tim. Oh. So it was a St. Timothy's Day party, and they asked us to do uh, a set of Rolling Stone songs. And So, so that was on commission? Busy. Kind of on commission, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't our idea to do it, and then once we got into it, we got into it. Nice. Uh, yeah, it was really fun couple of my old friends had the uh, the hand-painted CD covers, or like okay. one had a painted, one had a Sharpie. Um, yeah, that was like the old burn the CDs for tour merch. And then time. make it on tour while you're in the van, killing time. Yeah, just in the van, you're coloring. Yeah, definitely. I, I remember coloring in cassette jackets that were Xeroxed, you know, or uh-huh. we would... <laughs> Some, I had a bandmate who would knit headphone covers for, like, you know, those old Walkman headphones with the styrofoam. Oh, yeah. yeah. Replace the foam wow, with little that's great. cozies. And, cool. Uh, yeah. I think that's the best way to pass time on the road It's just do something with your hands if you can. Doing something. And, and your mind. For sure. Don't show up like mush. It's hard not to show up like mush when you've just been vibrating all day, and then you got to play a show. Yeah, but I don't know. You do what you can, but it was nice to do creative work in the van. So, post the, the post apocalypse here, or a certain phase of the apocalypse, 
do you think you're going to be touring any more or less than you have in the past? We're probably going to be doing short trips to sections of the country mm-hmm. and then possibly doing a little more touring in Europe, if possible. But right now, it's just like, okay, let's go. We want to play in New York, so let's go get some shows around New York. We can make a couple, a couple of bucks there and pay for the trip. Uh, the thing now is just to try to do it without losing money and without going crazy. You know, like think about our health and and our stress levels and our enjoyment because I love playing and I love the people that I get to play with and we're just trying to make it uh, make it doable because we've all been through the crazy times of, uh, you know, starving on the road. This is Low Profile, and today my guest is Tim Rutilli of the band Caliphone. Their album Villagers is out May 19th, 2023 on Jealous Butcher Records. Did you bring in a lot of different session workers for Villagers? I know that that studio, they kind of operate a little like Muscle Shoals. Well, Stephen Hodges was the only sort of Long Beach guy that came in Mm -hmm. and played uh, there. Um, on those sessions and he's a percussionist he's an older guy he played he was like Mavis Staples drummer for a long time mm. and played on those Tom Waits records um, probably like Swordfish Trombones on you know those 80s yeah. 90s records he played on he's great so he was the only like you know studio ace guy <laughs> like from the Long Beach crew that came in and then you know, it was a, a lot of the other people that came in um, were just uh, friends that we had worked with before or people that we wanted to work with before, you know? It, I mean, did, did like a song comedy, for example, was it so like mm-hmm. uh, kind of soul leaning before you brought it into the studio or did it come together in the studio? Uh, I had the song for some years mm-hmm. and recorded a version probably in 2016, I think in Austin when I was working on another record. Um, and that was much faster. It still was kind of a swingy song, but it, it was a bit quicker and had like a loud ass guitar solo in it. And, uh, and then this time it felt better to, just let it breathe a bit and uh, and lean into it that way. Um, but yeah, that was a Long Beach song. And we just, uh, it was Wally played bass and Rachel played drums. I played piano, Max played guitar. And we just uh, did it live and then added things later. Yeah. 
beautiful piece. Thanks. Yeah, the original, like, basic track of it felt really, really good, so we decided to go in that direction with it and not try to do it quicker and not try to, like, add, like, a, a Steve Vai-style guitar solo. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't wait to hear that. Did that one come out? The first one? Yeah. The first one came out on this thing called The First 100 Days, which was, like, a... A charity, I think probably a band camp thing for charity, where it was the first hundred days of uh, Trump's presidency, and it was money going to like Southern Poverty Law Center and and uh, ACLU and stuff like that. But that song was one of the days. That's great. I didn't even yeah I didn't hear about that project. So I mean, it's, you probably could look for it and find it. Yeah. I it will. might have been like secretly Canadian thing that they put together or Dead Oceans. Okay. I mean, that was a very intense hundred days for a lot of people, self-included. <laughs> it was. <laughs> yeah. How many irons you got in the fire right now, Tim? You're, you're a multidisciplinary artist. I got some things going that I don't feel good talking about. Okay. Yeah. Because I'd rather just let them uh, happen. And then talk about them. Okay. But yeah, there's about three things going. And one of them is this record. And then probably, there was probably six songs that didn't make it onto Villagers. That will be the beginning of another record. So I'm I'm writing more nice. songs and trying to write them while they're coming. Yeah, bank them up. Because sometimes songs don't come. It's true. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of deserts. Yeah, and I I don't mind not writing songs really, mm-hmm. but if they're gonna come like, out and it's not happening, yeah, if they're coming, you got to catch them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you moved to L.A. from Chicago. I mean, how come? There was work, and then there was some family stuff going on, and it was just nice to leave Chicago. Yeah, and come to this like. Uh, sunshiny weird place and i lived in ojai for the first uh bit of my la oh yeah time yeah that's not bad it was not bad at all yeah it was kind of shocking to to hear the you know the quiet and see the stars but uh it was nice and then came then came to la and you stuck around um is that lyric on on villagers? I can't recall the song at the moment, but uh, like I came back after the death of a family member, and you never left. Oh, it was in a song called Eyelash. Eyelash, and yeah. Uh, and I was in town for a death in the family, and you never left. Never left. And that's kind of a true story, I guess. You started a story that you could not finish And I waited And I waited It was like uh, we were talking and you never got to the point And I waited and it felt like forever And in between the time of you talking and me waiting for you to get to the point I imagined many, I imagined a lifetime of things, you know? Yeah. It's just a mind-wandering 
kind of song, I guess. Mm-hmm. Do uh, do you lyric first often? Or uh, I know a lot of the not usually the Caliphone stuff is pretty collaborative, and the the way it sounds and the way songs come together is the impression that I have. This one I wrote everything. Bef- there was no sort of band jam writing. Mm-hmm. Like that song, Eyelash, is the closest thing. Um, because it did come out of like uh, like kind of a noise jam that I was doing with my friend, Brad. And uh, and he was doing, you know, we had like a drum machine and, a, and he had like modular synth stuff and I was playing piano and that song was like, oh, that part seems like a song. So I took it, made the song and then went back and we recorded it. But, um, yeah, this one was all like, uh, uh, writing (laughs) and not so much jamming. Like some of the songs had open sections for improvising, Mm -hmm. but everything was written before we went in and demoed pretty solidly. It just, yeah. You guys seem like you have a hell of a lot of fun. Yeah, I still love it. But I, I'm glad uh, we don't do it all the time because I don't think I would. Yeah. Be, uh, I don't think I would enjoy it as much as if, if it, there was pressure around it to uh, produce or if we had to treat it like uh, content or something. That's the worst. Yeah. Do you- but it's hopefully like I'll be able to visit this and make Caliphone records yeah. till I die, you know? Do you revisit your own material that much or you just put it out there and like kind of move away? If I have to learn a song, if we talk like, like if someone's like, yeah, we want to, we should play that song. I'll have to listen to it to learn it, but I don't like put on, uh, I don't know you know, like if you worked on something for so long, you've heard those songs a million times and it's weird to listen to it without attaching, uh, memories to it of making it mm-hmm. so i don't know i haven't gotten there yet but the process of recording you know part of the passion there is that you're making something that you want to hear at least that first time like it's done and then you hear it and there's something about that there's something amazing about that and really beautiful and satisfying about that um and if you're not enjoying <laughs> hearing hearing it when you're making it then it's probably something you should throw in the garbage yeah you know um but after the fact it i don't know maybe i'll try putting on an old red red meat record or something but the last time i heard an old record i was like that guy sounds sick like what's wrong with that guy you know i don't know it it wasn't uh it wasn't that fun yeah. But I remember it was fun making the thing. Have you recorded your voice when you had a cold or something, a sore throat, just just did it anyway? Oh, yeah. I feel like you can yeah. distance yourself from that a little bit more, looking back. A little bit. You'll have an excuse. Uh-huh. I was I was sick.
was wondering if you could talk about the Echo Mine project and how that came together. Okay. Uh, Echo Mine was a collaboration with uh, Robin Maneko Williams, and she's a dancer, choreographer in Chicago. And uh, I worked with her shooting. I, I shot some video for them out here, and then we talked about collaborating again, and then this thing came up to work with her and uh, a mentor of hers named Claire Bataille. So I started sending some loops and ideas, and then she started sending video, like that was mind-blowing, of some dances. And then we just went back and forth until uh, we started getting somewhere with it, and then I started going to Chicago and working with Ben Masterella and Brian Deck on it and Robin, and we sort of camped out in three different sessions and made that record together and and uh then it was a performance with the music that uh was the premiere at the harris theater a couple of years ago right before the pandemic and then we were supposed to tour with it and play some shows with the dancers and then you know it was covid time yeah. so but we did a streaming show that was pretty amazing to do with the dancers and then we also did a show last December 2021 I think in Chicago at at uh, Talia Hall it's really beautiful the stuff I've seen from it yeah it was incredible to do that project I don't know a lot about dance but uh, it was really powerful yeah like they did a performance of it here uh, last July and you know, we just went and watched, and everybody was just weeping. This, it was just really beautiful, emotional, just from movement and light and sound, and the whole thing is just, it's beautiful, and it's deep. Is there choreography for the whole album? Yeah. The whole album is a score for the dance piece, right, so okay. the, the performances that I saw that we didn't play, they just rolled through the whole thing. Every piece of music has a piece of dance yeah it was incredible it was really nice not understanding anything about dance too and then just feeling what they were doing and feeling what Robin was doing she's she's incredible like one of the most creative like uh, best artists that I know hi there today hope you're enjoying the show so far If you're a regular listener, it would mean the world to me to get your support with a flexible monthly donation on patreon.com slash lowprofile. This is what greases the wheels on this clunky machine and makes it possible for me to keep doing these long-form interviews with important contemporary musicians. So sign up if you can, because I am so ready for this to be my day job. Thanks also to Olympia Independent Businesses, Schwartz's Deli, San Francisco Street Bakery, Old School Pizzeria, and Schurler Easy Premium Shitty American Lager from Three Magnets Brewing Company for their continued in-kind support. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I forget how I was 
think you would ever uh, revisit scoring a silent film, like with the deceleration records? Maybe. Uh, it's not something we're talking about now, but yeah. yeah. Or have you have you done multiple scorings of those? Did you take it on the road? You know, we did it. We did it at a film festival in Toronto. We did to like Harry Smith films. Yeah. So they yeah. curated that, and they asked us to do that, and that was the first time we did it. And then the deceleration first deceleration was uh, at Northwestern. Usually, if it's someone's asking, we did one in New York. It was like a Buster Keaton festival with live score musicians so we did one there and we did it because they you know someone asked us to do it so basically you can check it off your bucket list at least yeah my bucket list is probably like uh naked skydiving um hawaii never went to hawaii and then lots of probably drug things that might kill me I want my bucket list to murder. I want my bucket list to kill me. Right. Eventually. Yeah. You save the riskiest stuff for last. Yeah. My bucket list is all just creative suicides. <laughs> so that's what, I'm work- that's what I'm working on. Well, I can't wait to hear more of it, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about um, one of my favorite Red Red Meat tunes. Chain, Chain, Chain. Okay. It's at the age right now, that song, where it qualifies as classic rock, you know? old right i wrote that right when my son was born so he's 28 now yeah i remember writing that song like coming home from the hospital and working on that song um yeah so it's got to be 28 almost 30 years old he's 28 so you were you were still writing new music when you had babies in the house Yes. One baby. Two if you count me. <laughs> I consider myself a big old baby. That's a good but, way to yeah. that's a great self image. I'm a yeah, I'm a baby for sure. You don't have to feel bad if you need a little help with something. Gotta ask for help, cry a lot, shit your pants every once in a while. That's Let it fly. Yeah, it's part of growing Gotta up, let, right? Let it fly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I had a uh, a rock and roll band that uh, played, you know, local bars in the desert, and we we pulled that one out every now and then. 
Oh, you played that song? Yeah. And uh, we never oh, cool. we never gave you the royalties, and I'm real sorry about that. Well, you can just the, the uh, door sales or whatever. Drink tickets is think, probably all it was. I don't think you have to pay for that. No, I don't think you should. No, I think that's that's free. Yeah. Well, next time I have some drink tickets, I'll send them to you. Just uh, that sounds amazing. It's a good gesture. And I'll try to redeem them at the liquor store at the corner. Yeah. And uh, and then cry like a baby when they don't take those tickets and want cash. Now, what's your what's your Tim's going to break down and cry drink? Oh, God. It's been a long time since I got drunk and cried. Uh, what do you think would do probably it? Probably about 30 years. Uh, the last time I did it, I'm really bad at throwing up. Mm-hmm. Just not, some people are great at it, I'm bad at it, and I tend to, like, my eyes tear up, and there's really no emotion involved, but throwing up makes me cry, and I remember, like, puking and crying in the snow in an alley uh, when I was in my early 20s, and it was like Jaeger, Jaeger shots, and uh, so it was like black vomit melting snow and then my tears my hot tears melting snow too um so i guess if i revisited like a whole bunch of jaeger shots in the snow i could get that in an alley uh, in an alley i probably could yeah there was a dumpster right there i think that would do it to anybody that combination of (laughs) elements there (laughs) those factors that'll do it (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and what do you pair that with? I've, I've read some interviews with you uh, sort of in prep so as not to like totally rehash everything. And nobody ever asked you how you like your burger. I like a nice uh, medium rare burger. Yeah. How's it dressed? Uh, I'm not a big fan of onions. I like a good tomato. Uh, you know... A little bit of mayo, some lettuce and tomato, some pickles. Pickles. On a good burger. Please. A good a good cheese. A good cheddar cheese, maybe, would be good. You're not going to fuck with just processed American cheese on your burger? If I have to, I will, but I prefer something, to go classy. Something that tastes good? Yeah. Something from cows, yeah. Yeah. I feel like we could switch burgers and be just fine. What do you got? Um, I, I'm a little more... In, I like mayo, but I like that for my fries. Um, but I'm a fan of extra pickles. Um, I, like a, I like a provolone or a cheddar is good. Wow. Um, and then just ketchup and mustard. And I want just that, but maybe a couple of them, not too big. Bigger than sliders. That's... But. That's very avant-garde and classy, I think. That's cool. That sounds great. I mean, it looks like just your basic cartoon drawing of a cheeseburger when it comes down. Yeah, but still, you got the provolone. You've got like a a global medley of flavors happening. Mm -hmm. Sweet pickles, dill pickles. Oh, dill pickles. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Well, Tim... 
I know you got to run. I think uh, I think we did something here. I think we did something special. I love you, and I love your caliphone, and I love all your artwork, all your hard work. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, uh, baby up, Tim. What does that mean? <laughs> it's oh, some, it's oh, something it I'm trying. Be a ba- baby I th- up. I think baby up. It's an okay. encouragement. I got it. Okay. It's it's like be okay, be a fucking baby. It is. It's just like that. It was great talking to you. Thank you. Yeah, great talking to you too, Tim. Take care. This has been the 74th episode of Low Profile. I'm Mark Lee Morrison, and I've been speaking with Tim Rutilli of the band Caliphone. Their new album, Villagers, is out May 19th, 2023 on Jealous Butcher Records. For links related to our discussion, you can scope out this episode's website at lowprofilepodcast.com, where you can also find the archive of all the previous episodes. Maybe you'd like to hear my interview with Lauren Connors back on episode 58. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll catch you soon.
Hi, I'm Anna Winter. Do you love listening to Low Profile? There are several ways you can support this show. You can sign up for flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash lowprofile at the cost of a cup of coffee once a month. If you join the Patreon community, you can get advanced episode releases, behind-the-scenes exclusives, and early access to merchandise. If you can't contribute financially, it always helps if you tell a friend about your favorite episodes, share about Low Profile on social media, subscribe for free on your favorite podcast platform, and give us a rating and review whenever you listen. Low Profile also receives in-kind support thanks to these independent Olympia businesses. San Francisco Street Bakery, Schwartz's Deli, Rainy Day Records, Old School Pizzeria, and Schurler Easy Premium Shitty American Lager from Three Magnets Brewing Company. And most of all, thanks to you, the listener. 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 Thanks to you, the listener.